You're listening to The Pedestal from Mike on Much. Presented by Much Studios. Welcome to The Pedestal. I am your host, Mike Veerman. I'm here with Shane Cunningham. We are here with Jonathan Popolis. Today on the show, we are talking about... John's personal pedestal movie. Uh, if you've been listening, you know that last week we did the Rules of Attraction uh, by Shane Cunningham, as that was on his personal pedestal. For John, for his personal pedestal, he has chosen the film Misery. We're doing a few uh, uh, personal pedestal episodes, which is uh, each of us are, are going to take a movie that may not necessarily be on the pedestal already and and then you kind of were kind of picking movies in a universal are, sense yeah we're kind of picking our, our one of our favorite movies and, and i'm sort of putting it up there and saying i really believe that this movie personally it should be on the pedestal and my it's been a huge part of my life so and now yeah. you're going to revisit it as an adult exactly and and shane and for i maybe trillionth time haven't <laughs> seen it a bunch or whatever like for yeah. instance for rules of attraction i had never seen the film so you know Neither it was an interesting I, yeah. walk through that experience and now misery uh is the film that we are doing today and again a film that i hadn't seen until you've never seen i watched misery. it no but i'm very familiar with it i will get into it because obviously sure. there's some iconic scenes in it uh and it came out in and around a time sort of as we were all very young and you know oscars and whatnot right uh but for some context for our listeners who are tuning in uh, maybe you're a stephen king uh, super fan maybe you just really love misery maybe you're a rob reiner super fan but here's some context this all film those came rob out. reiner super fans <laughs> okay that's that's who <laughs> listens to us primarily yeah guys this movie made $61.3 million on a budget of, I was like, when you guys guess these? 8 million. 10 million, I was going to say. $20 million, right? Really? Maybe. I don't know. You wouldn't factor that Those into the budget. Those snow scenes, maybe. Well, here's what's crazy is because in my notes, I have that this film would be dirt cheap to make yeah. because it all takes all place basically in a room and then there's a couple exterior. I bet you the snow scenes were hard to do. I was thinking that a lot watching it. Right, right. Is James Caan super expensive? Maybe. I can't imagine that in 1990, James Caan yeah. demanded like... I mean, when was Sonny Corleone killed in The Godfather? Like <laughs> exactly. 1977, 70, he sat in a room until two? someone called him to be in this movie. Did Sonny die in part one or part two? One. Sorry for the spoilers, guys, but it, <laughs> Sorry. it, it happens at the toll booth. When there he's when driving they, up. Yeah, to, that's right. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so, guys, as we do, uh, we talk about the film and what it was like the first time we saw it. So, John, I don't know, because this is your personal pedestal, do you want to sort of uh, take the lead on what this film meant to you, uh, how you felt about it when you first saw it? Maybe you'll talk a bit about your super fandom as a Stephen King. Uh, sure, I am an aforementioned Stephen King super fan. But the first time I saw this movie, I remember this, like, vividly. Because, so I'm a, as, as I've, I think I've mentioned before, I'm a big, I was a really big weenie kid who didn't like horror movies at all. Um, and I rented this movie with my cousins, George and Jamie, uh, from the library. And I didn't really rent a lot of library movies, but like the cover, I don't know if you saw the cover or it's just like, like a snowy, the poster is like this, like big, like snowy out in middle of nowhere place in a cabin in the middle. And it just looked so creepy. We had never heard of it. And my cousin George is like, we're getting this one. And I was like <laughs> nervous. I was like, yeah, sure. And we're like bringing it home and I'm watching it. And it like really really like fucked with me. And I remembered it like for forever, like the every bit really scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Um, and then I grew up, but I became, like I said, a huge Stephen King fan. I think he's, he's had a bigger impact on my life than like any other artist, any other filmmaker or anything. I've read almost all his books. Um, and misery is my favorite Stephen King book as well. Uh, so the book is my favorite. And I went back and revisited the movie many times over my life. And, and I, I, 
love this movie. So I'm very happy that we're actually going to get to talk about it today. So you saw the movie before you read the book? Yeah, I, re- I watched the movie when I was like 10. When did you finish your first Stephen Cook King book? Uh, I was in the sixth grade, so I don't know what that age would have been. 12? 13? Yep, 12. I, read, I read Desperation while we were driving to Florida again with my cousins. Also, one of the uh, sort of lesser known titles from Stephen King. Yeah, it is. Has that been made into a film or anything? Uh, I got made into a TV miniseries. Oh, the TV oh, treatment. Well. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I think so. I mean, don't quote me on that. It was how like much, I was talking about this with somebody. I can't recall who, forgive me, but how much do you think Stephen King's worth just on like uh, uh, TV rights and movie rights alone? It's be, I, I, I forget. I had a similar conversation recently where like, if you just take it, and you think about oh, how many the conversation was with you. Was it you? Okay, <laughs> maybe it was. <laughs> Sitting with the with guy I was someone. talking about this. But yeah, if you just took yeah. it and you just, like, about how many times it's been optioned and just the recent movies and how much money it's making, like, he'd be one of the richest authors ever. And that's one small That's piece. one book in his canon, yeah. like, of, like, he's he's kind of the Beatles of popular literature. Oh, yeah. Big time. I say 100 million. Do you think if I ask Suri, she'll answer it? I would love to know. How much is he worth? He's got to be able to, well, he's got to be worth a billion. I would say billionaire. How much is Stephen King worth? The answer I found is $529,560,000. Half a billion. Wow. And I bet you that's like, there's some tax havens going Did on Did you here. say a billion? <laughs> I thought a billion. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought if the guy from, you know, if Steve Ballmer from Microsoft can afford to buy the Clippers for $1.2 billion, I would think that Stephen King could. Yeah. Now, again, you, have, you don't have to have the whole one point two. You just have to, like a down payment of yeah. $300 million yeah. or something. I don't know if it's all liquid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, anyways. <laughs> but uh, Stephen King, Let's get man, into this a little it. more, guys. <laughs> Let's do it. Shady boy? Uh, first saw it. First impressions. So I first saw it. My stepmom introduced me to it when I was fairly young, probably 11 or 12. And all I remember from it is the leg breaking scene where she hollows him. him. And it's like been on my mind probably like forever, forever. Like same with me when I was like, anytime I see a basketball player bust his leg up in one of those horrible ankle breaking injuries you see on the court that are disgusting. I always think of misery. Like Gordon Hayward. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that anything else though, I did not remember. I remember there was a car accident. I remember she was looking after him, but just very vague details. What were your feelings about, uh, uh, so, so the first time around you said you were, it basically traumatized you because of the ankle break. Yeah, I remember thinking, wow, that's like a insane injury. Like you really fit, I really felt his pain because I was a basketball player growing up and ankle injuries and leg injuries were common. I know that's how you lost your scholarship to Duke. It is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I don't have a relationship with this film other than a pop culture relationship uh, with this film because obviously, like, I watched a ton of movies. My mom really liked this film, so this this movie was around. She read Stephen King. She enjoyed Stephen King a lot. Read a lot of books. A lot of Daniel Steele too. Uh, Ooh la la! Did you read a lot of Daniel Steele? No, but I know. Again, yeah. pop moms culture. Like I'm the, around. Exactly. So <laughs> I know she, what moms reading Daniel Steele <laughs> mean. <laughs> so the so so this movie was around. Like the cover is so I can see it in the movie. Uh, the the video shop. Like uh, obviously, like Kathy Bates. Like. That those clips were around all the time because she was nominated and then uh, consequently won the Oscar. So like as and the 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 mallet to the ankles literally is like seared into my brain. I could like reference this movie. People could reference this movie. I was fully aware of the plot machinations and like sort of like the 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 the, the relationship between her as the super fan and then him as the sort of author or like stand in for the Stephen King. I was aware of this movie just through pop culture osmosis without ever sitting through it. So I was actually looking forward to seeing this one, Johnny, when you said you wanted to do this one because I'm like, shit, I actually haven't seen this one and I feel like it's probably a must watch for people that are into films. But so yeah, I had no relationship other than a pop culture relationship with it before I watched it. 
Cool. So I'm excited. This is where we go on to uh, what we currently think about it. The case for keeping it on the pedestal. Uh, what do we like? The best scene, the best performance. Um, again, Johnny, this is your movie. So do you want to start? Yeah. Uh, I know. I'm obviously, I always get into large philosophical thematic things, but I feel I like- didn't know the word NUI until you, we started this N-U-I. podcast. Wasn't it ennui? Ennui? Yeah, yeah, I don't correct. know. Yeah. I, I, like, <laughs> I also agree. No, I was talking about Enya, the singer of <laughs> yeah. the song from Only uh, Enya. Why? Sweet November. Who can say where the road goes? Um, People just turned the podcast off. Anyway, go <laughs> yes. on. Uh, so, but I mean, I feel like the first thing I want to talk about is Kathy Bates. I thought you were good, Paul, but you're not good. You're just another lying old dirty birdie. And I don't think I'd better be around you for a while. Or I think her character, Annie Wilkes, is is maybe my favorite movie villain of all time. Like, she is just so insane. And she's so good. Like, she's mm-hmm. so goddamn good in this role. She She's scary. She's a monster, but she's a monster with layers. Like, she's not just some, like, like crazy lady and like the idea that she's this serial killer living in the middle of nowhere where she's glommed onto these series of books and then the author just happens to to sort of fall into her lap and 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 the machinations of, of how crazy she gets so yeah i want to talk about her first because I, I don't know if you guys agree i think she's unbelievable in this movie I agree with you. I think, she, I th- I th- okay, so like before we even get to say the Kathy Bates performance, which is phenomenal, I think that the character is really rich. You know, sometimes you'll just have sort of a villain that is, you know, they'll have like ticks and idiosyncratic things where you go, oh, they're a villain. Throughout the course of the film, they really revealed the, her psyche, like her sort of like uh, her, her ability to sort of like flip and be, you know, pleasant one minute and then absolutely off a rocker the next. And then I, I, you know, once he discovers the, uh, the newspaper clippings, you go, Oh my God, like this woman literally has killed people that have gotten in her way to like get ahead. Like it it sort of revealed a past, you know, and it kind of did it slowly at first. We learned about, Oh, the husband, my husband left me or whatever, but then you end up finding that, you know, it's like throughout the course of the film, I thought it, it was like an amazing thing to really understand like the depth of her insanity and sort of the lengths that she's willing to go to. And you go, Oh fuck, this guy's like, she isn't just like a harmless super fan, which, you know, that's, that's what he's thinking at first. He's like, okay, like he knows something's off. And even he was even like, hey, I, I reserve uh, reading my new book to my agents and people who save my life. Like he, he's sure he, he knows something's a little weird, but she's not. She's harmless. She oh, saved my life. Totally. So, so anyway, I thought the what dep- a cool way to introduce a villain too that she saves his life like yeah. completely. Yeah. I anyway. So the depth of the character and how much I feel like I know who that character is, but you sometimes don't get to know when it's like a antagonist of that nature. Well, I don't think she even intended on hurting him originally. No, I think that. I feel like I, I wrote this down where it feels like misery, the character misery Chastain in these books are her like one thread holding her sanity. And then here's the guy who kills her. And so my, her goal now is I need to pull misery back out of his head. So you don't to pull he, herself back into like, that's, that is her reality. I'll buy that. She wasn't maybe meaning to harm him, but I think she was lying about the phone lines immediately. I think yep. she wanted to keep him there for oh, a bit. I think and- she wanted to have uh, some moments with him and like uh, to have a celeb in her house for right. as long as possible. And not just a celeb, but like her the celeb. celeb. The yeah, person, the celeb, I'm the sorry. The person that means everything to her. Yeah. Right, yeah. Because, yeah, it was just because she idolized him, she wanted to pick his brain and read his manuscript. I thought, I think that was just the end goal. Yeah. But I mean, she's she moves to to fucked up stuff. Super 
like when she starts, when she like, like, especially when she's telling him to burn the book and she's Even starting to that. just, but the, 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 she is starting to get crazy before the that. Soup. When she the reads, soup, of course. So the manuscript that he completes, nothing to do with misery, like his first book post misery, right? She reads that and she's like, I don't like the swearing. I don't like this. And then he's like, he's like, well, that's how people talk. She's like, well, I don't just say that. And then she starts to become really unhinged. And then she spills the soup. And she's like, look what you made me done. That's when he's like, Uh-oh. I'm fucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And that's where we first all go. Because everything up until that point is she's off. But maybe she's just kind of like, well, it's Colorado. But like maybe she's just like Midwest, Midwest plate. Or she's like small town yeah. plate. And kind of a little bit different. She's not the same frequency as me. And then that's when it's like. She's fucking nuts, and I can't move. I can't go anywhere. And how come I haven't like really? I can't get a hold of my agent or my daughter. Like this is this is starting to come. And, but the thing that got me is when she starts like pouring fuel on him. Like, that's no. That's like, when you become a psychopath. Casually, like oh my god! Like she's yeah. just couch. She's like you know, and she's just pouring fuel on him. Like I'm going to light you on fire if you don't light your book on fire. That's yeah. kind of what she's saying. Um, and and how the idea of a female villain like this? I feel like so many movies when you have especially in this time frame, when there's like a female villain like this, it's like a fatal attraction or it's like a femme fatale, like using her sexuality against men. It's like, but she is completely different. She is, you're kind of using the idea of like small town Americana. That's the thing that's disarming. And then slowly but surely the, 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 the madness kind of comes out of her. Well, politeness is like this interesting shield that people use all the time. Yeah. Like it's like, you, you sort of accept the circumstances and her in this sort of like, like you, you would imagine it like for all of her past victims, like, you know, like it, she killed coworkers in order to get ahead as a nurse and then ended up killing those babies. Right. Again, I don't know why she did that, but it would seem like she would kind of get into situations, feel slighted or that something was in the way of her goal. And then she would sort of act in a way that would like, well, she take constantly would say like, you don't appreciate all yes. the things I'm doing for you. So it's almost like this, like, you can see her, like, taking care of a baby, and then the baby cries, and she's like, how come you're not appreciating what I'm doing for you? And sure. then she, like, like she's killing babies, she's killing old people, and the, the, there's some elder care thing in that. In that, in that well, everything well. was, like, a sacrifice for, like, God or some sort of higher power that told her to do it. Yeah, like, she's deeply religious, for sure. But but I like how the movie, like you, like you were saying, for that first 15, 20 minutes, I mean, we go into the movie knowing she's crazy. The movie's called Misery. You're expecting something. But if you were just to come across this movie on cable and you didn't know anything about it, I like how, like, when you're with him and through his point of view, he's like, oh, yeah, she's this really sweet lady that saved my life. And not only that, my God, she's a nurse, so she was able to fix my legs. Do you think his legs were that bad, actually? And she actually fixed them, or do you think Ooh, that she injured I didn't them originally? I thought about that. I had a few thoughts. She, well, like, fucked him up a little extra? Well, I think she was definitely stalking him at the Spring Hill Hotel or whatever it's called. Yeah. Like, yeah. She, she's a super fan that knows I completely agree there. with that. So I think she'd been tracking him for the month he was living up well, there. Well, she admitted to that. She did. Yeah. So then she's following him, and that's how she finds him when he flips the car. What I thought when I looked at his legs was, I was like, my God, because the car wasn't mangled that bad. I was like, while he was unconscious, did she, you know, go to town on his legs so that she, he would have to be laid up and, and sort of infirm for that. I thought that about time. that. That's a great That's possible, point. but I don't think her intentions started out that malicious. I think they became malicious. Right. Like, she, she was opportunistic, but I don't think she'd hurt him past the point where he'd just be stuck there forever. Well, and, and there was several times with the movie, like you said, where once he, she felt like, she had a great analogy, actually, about the right before she actually did in the, the ankles where she's like, um, the diamond mines, the diamond mines where she was like, I, I would never kill this guy because his mind is so amazing and his hands and like what he can do is more valuable than like me killing him, but I'll injure him so he can't leave or whatever. So he can't run away. Yeah. Exactly. So famously in the book, she chops his foot off. Ah. She takes an ax and just That's chops rough. his foot That's right rough. off. 
And that's like a, there was a point of contention, like when they were making the movie and they had another director who like walked away because he's like, if we don't cut his, if we don't cut his foot off, I don't want to make this movie because that's the best part of the book. Mm. And it's still, and Stephen King was really upset that they were going to change it. And then they all saw it, like how it ended up. And they were like, oh no, this is much worse. It just, it's gruesome. I just, yeah, I, I, we can talk about that scene now. It's just, it's the, the, everything about it, the, 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 mu- the moonlight sonata that's playing during yep. it, the, the build up, the put in the block between the legs, hold it. Like, you know, like holding up the sledgehammer so you know it's coming and then how it hit. It they showed the one on, ankle, but not yeah, the, the they showed the left one, but not the right. shot yeah. just long enough for it to be so goddamn fucked up. The sound effect, they built like a gelatin leg so it would like flop. Like, mm. like just weird enough. God, it's one, it's one of the most, it's, I think it's my favorite scene in any horror movie. It's I've an ever iconic seen. scene. Like if yeah. you were to see a montage at the Oscars and they showed that the clip would be her with the mallet and yeah. putting the block between his legs. Like that's what you see. Shh, darling. Trust me. God's sake. It's for the best. She she was amazing. Like she had to have won the Oscar for this. Right? She did. Okay. She won Best Actress. Whoopi won Best Supporting Actress that year. Yeah, because it was just a crazy performance. And what I I liked about I guess this is more of a writing thing, but also how she played it was sometimes she would be dumb enough to believe that uh, James Con wanted to have a romantic dinner with her. Bang on. And then she comes in the next day all distraught. And she's like, at first I was just in love with your writing, but I became in love with the person. Don't tell me you love me because I know it's not true. So she's like, don't pull your like nice stuff because I'm smarter than to know that you would never love a simpleton, not necessarily typically Hollywood attractive looking person. And But she always had a layer of anything James Caan said. You as the audience are looking at her eyes saying, does she believe that? Is she going to go to town knowing that he's sneaking out? Is she just going to town? Is she going to snap at it? And I was always very scared almost at her reaction or how she was going to take things. She kept you off kilter. Yeah. You, you brought up the dinner and and that sort of like um, that paradigm where you go, does she believe him or does she not? Because she's obviously smart, right? Like yeah. crazy like a fox or whatever. It's like... Do you think that she spilt the wine on I purpose at down. the dinner? I wrote when she spills the wine. Do you think it's mind game? Because she she's did like that so well. That that I don't know how many takes that took, but she made me believe that she really dropped it. So me, I don't so know it's because because to, it's a great question. Because if she's like he's playing games with me, and it's like he really asked, I was just about to take a drink of the water. If she's that playing chess in her mind, yeah. then she goes and she's like, well, I don't want to break the facade of our dinner, so I'll spill it accidentally, which is a devastating moment for him. But I was like because they very clearly set up that penguin thing where he puts the penguins in the wrong place before that dinner. But I don't know. She had a couple come clean moments where I feel like she would have been like, oh, and by the way. I know you did that. Exactly. Sure. Like Maybe. she came clean about no phone lines, hoping, the no roads. Another thing is she when, when she's dragging him like down to the cellar, there's a thing where she's yelling at him and going, how come there's no level of trust between us yet? <laughs> and I felt it was a real, it's kind of funny, but it's this honest kind of like, like she's sort of banking on Stockholm Syndrome kind of setting in at some point and she doesn't understand why it's not. Which if you're crazy is a reasonable thought. Yes, as long as I keep him here, at some point, I believe it's going to click in or he's just going to love me because that's just how it works, right? Like I've heard it so many times that that you'll start to relate to your captor and, and like... It's a cool movie that it never even like hints at it. There's never even a second where Paul is like, I really feel for this woman. He's like, no, no, this woman is insane. Well, speaking of him, he starts kind of playing the game immediately. It's like he sizes up the situation pretty quickly. I have that written down too. And he goes, I mean, the, the, the movie's d- pretty brilliantly devised, uh, devised because you're like, 
when you're playing chess in your mind where you're going, okay, this movie's claustrophobic. It's making me feel uncomfortable. And like in any movie or any sort of suspense movie or a thriller or a horror movie, you go, okay, what are their outs here? And every time I tried to get the outs, I'm like, okay, jump out the window. Well, he's isolated. Do this, do that. I'm like, he actually has no outs. Mm-hmm. This is the only way to play it is to sort of hope that she's either going to come around, she'll show mercy, she's not as crazy as she seems, or then ultimately you just have to give in to what she needs and hope to survive another day. And so it was like, I was just very much like... uh nothing rang untrue about his situation and his options. He had to play it yeah. the way he played yeah. it. Did you guys feel there was any other oh, way yeah. for him to... No, he played it perfectly. I love yeah. that we got to skip past any kind of like begging or pleading. Like he's locked in like, I know it's, I know what's happening here. If I start begging and crying and pleading, like things might actually get worse for me. Yeah. Like I need to play along like right away. He wasn't like, I have it a daughter. Me Let side. me out of here. My yeah. daughter. It's like he, as this like sort of savvy New Yorker author, he kind of... Did all and this then we also believe, again, if you don't know where this is going, I believe this plan's going to work because that's how movies go. He's getting a key. He's holding, He's he's got a knife stash. Under when bed. did he get a key? Uh, you mean the, the clothespin? The, 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 the bobby pin. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but bullshit. I mean, he's, developed, <laughs> he's, he's developing a plan that seems like, oh, the, nat- the natural evolution of this movie is going to be at some point later in this movie this plan is going to get and none of it works it fails in every way did you think the pills he was hoarding like you know the one part where he tastes the pills Mm -hmm. did you think it was going to be like a sugar pill placebo thing and he was going to be like fuck no i think i know he was tasting it to see if she would notice it in the drink i know i know why but i thought he was going to taste it and it was going to be he had done all this work and she was not even giving him pain medication right I like, didn't think that. That would have been he, interesting. When he went to the to room to see the big pills, yeah. I thought on the back it was going to say what it was, like a placebo sugar pill. But I mean, I think she was clearly attempting to get him like hooked on pills. Like that's that like yeah. that, that was her goal, right? Keep him sedated, keep or him at least. sedated, and keep him because make make you dependent on. So that's that was his part of his grand plan was get myself as much as fight through the pain. I like his, 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 his right arm got better. He started doing like bench presses I with the typewriter. Him. I'm like, oh, I'm going to start doing that workout. I love when he starts typing fuck, 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 fuck on the, on yeah. the that was such a real thing. Well, it was for, very uh, The Shining in yeah, that moment. The with, same author, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny too about this film is it's like, uh, there's certain scenes in it where it's like, and I'm not like, I'm not some great creative, but we all work in a creative industry. And when she gets him to burn the manuscript of the book that he's been working on, that isn't a misery book. And she's like, this is for your own good. And you have to do this. She pulls into the, the barbecue and he really doesn't want to. And he, he makes up a lie so that he doesn't have to burn it. I'll tell you what, it, it doesn't ever have to be published. No one ever has to read it. I'll just keep it for myself. No one will even know it exists. As long as it does exist. Your mind won't ever be free. Do you think that people would look at that scene and go, he would just burn the manuscript. It wouldn't be that big of a deal to him. Or do you think people actually feel the pain of that? Because that feels like a very specific uh, horror, like a a, a nightmare scenario for Stephen King. Like, I think he wrote that in as a very personal. (laughs) Very true. I felt that pain, though. I felt that pain. Totally. Do you think other people that don't work, like if you're you're like a a welder, are you going to see that scene and go, just burn the fucking pages, dude? Or are you going to go, he doesn't have backups. Even if you tried to rewrite I the book, I think anyone he never has could. a project that yeah. they've worked on, yep. and they would hate to see it destroyed. Yeah, and a welder builds something that he wouldn't would hate to do for the job and have it ruined before. I guess what I'm getting it. at is like a welder could recreate a structure because you have a, a blueprint. Let's mm-hmm. say. With creative work, someone might say, well, you can just rewrite the book. It's like, but you'll never rewrite it the way, even if you did perfectly, your brain would never think you did it the same way. But what's important yeah. in the movie is it's almost like if it was a new misery book, he'd be okay with it. Like it would be like exactly. that. It would be like that welder 
for the first time making like a classic car that he put together. And this is what he's doing on his side. And then someone comes and makes him like blow it up. Yep. It's like the thing, the only thing that has brought me any like real joy in my life over the last like 10 years, you're making me get rid of. Like that's like, yeah, that, that would be gutting. It felt like a very personal scene yes. that I imagine was in the book to Stephen King, where it's like, this is actually my worst case scenario. But I made a note of while watching it, like, and I gave the movie huge respect points. They didn't over-dramatize that scene in the sense that uh, James Conn's character wasn't like crying or like, fuck, because he knew he had way bigger fish to fry. Yes. So, so he came up with the one you know, holding. He, he came up with the one lie. He's like, fuck, that didn't work. <laughs> and then he's, and then he just, and then he burns it. You, yeah, you know what which I is mean? his only option. Yeah. And he's I'm covered in lighter fuel at this point as well, too, right? Like the stakes are high. The only part that kind of bothered me was I loved how Kathy Bates played it when he's like, oh, don't worry, I've got lots of copies. And then she's like, well, so be it then. Still burn it. I didn't want to her to explain why she knew that he was bluffing. Then she did. I kind of liked it with her just knowing that you're a bullshitter. I yeah. was watching you write that because she had that whole backstory of watching right. him write the thing. And she knew as a super fan, she knew that he only makes one copy because he's superstitious and he does exactly. it. She, said she it reveals her thought process yeah. for us more so than like, mm-hmm. yeah, man. Well, and, but that did lead to the moment on his face where he was like, and he was great. Yeah. He was I'm really, I'm, I'm sure, I feel like you must have written down all the other actors who, did you get all that? I mean, I, I signed, every time I look up anything on this movie, there was like every single actor in Hollywood was offered this part. I did not. I didn't, uh, I didn't look, I didn't look up anything after there this was, thing. There were a ton of actors who were offered this part. Like, like uh, I wish I had written it down then. Cause it was like Robert De Niro, William Hurt was offered it like multiple times and he turned it down and Jack Nicholson was offered it and, and he almost did it, but he's like, oh, I already did the shining. Like it was like ton and, and and t- all these actors, Kevin Klein, it felt like James Conn was literally at the bottom of the list of possible. Well, he doesn't seem like a typical casting thing. He didn't for James seem, Conn, well, he doesn't seem like the guy who'd be a writer of exactly. like, but his anger and his edge is kind of what makes this movie like really work. Like yeah, you said, like the, the look on his face before he goes, I got bigger fish to fry. I wonder if it was like a wither, more withering. I know Dustin Hoffman was a big, was a big choice as well. Like if I saw like a, a weak looking Dustin Hoffman, does it not work as well? Because like, this guy's like, oh no. Like the, Dustin like, Hoffman the already feels sort of weak in some ways. Right. J- James I mean. Conn's like a tough guy. So it's yeah. good to see him vulnerable and I'm try to maintain right his, away. Yeah. There's something interesting about that. Uh, fascinating. We haven't even mentioned this yet. A little bit off the top of that. Ron Bryder directed this. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Uh, also, yeah, you know, of course, he did Stand By Me and some other That's films. why he directed this, because yeah. Stephen King, Stephen King yeah. liked his stuff. Well, when I say amazing, too, I'm saying his versatility is amazing. Yeah. In the sense that he did this Spinal Tap. Yep. Yeah. And he did... When Harry Met Sally. When Harry Met Sally, Stand By Me, this A Few Good film, Men. And A Few Good Princess Men. Princess Bride. He's, Princess Bride. He's it's jumping like, what genres. can't he do? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and yeah. You know what blew my mind? Was when I saw fucking Barry Sonnenfeld was the cinematographer. Yes. I did not realize that fucking Barry Sonnenfeld, this was the last film he was a cinematographer on before he jumped into being a big time director himself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it was, and it was a really very well controlled movie. It felt like an old, like uh, talking about the direction and the, and it felt like Hitchcockian. Hitchcockian. Yeah, I I agree. Literally written down where I said that it might be the most until get out. It was probably the most like Hitchcockian movie, modern I can't, I couldn't think, I was trying to. Well, it's like when you watch like an M. Night movie, like Signs, he's very deliberate with suspense and his cameras and he'll have like a wide that serves a purpose. Or like, I found that like this film did a lot of that because like to get across the claustrophobia and like, even like when she's talking, sometimes it'll be dead center camera sort of look. It's like, they just kind of, 
the way they shot her was really menacing at times. Oh, yeah. And, and lit her. Like, when she's doing yeah. that cock a scene about the guy jumping out of the car, <laughs> like, how she, like, she just looks, like, she looks crazy. Like, <laughs> I literally, so, while well, I was watching this last night, I posted an, an Insta story of me watching this for Pedestal uh-huh. season two. And the nut, our friend Adam Birchall, who we mentioned on the Michael Much podcast, he just responded, cock a always felt like a weird word to use in the script when she's yelling at him. So clearly that stood out to him, and this movie was something that he remembered. I think even her, like, hesitancy to use swear words, again, the kind of, like, disarming him with the Americana thing, and then she starts calling him a cocksucker, like, at the very yeah. end. Yeah, like, when she, she, she comes never called unhinged. him a cocksucker. She does. Yeah, when, when she comes unhinged at the, the very end during the fight. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, like, all pretense then is completely right, gone, yes. and her true nature yes. sort of shows. I, that's when I was actually, I got out of the bus for that part and was walking. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, Sweet. But yeah, so so in, in a large so so in a larger sense with her, because another kind of cycled back to her. My favorite thing about this movie, I, I I saw that Rob Reiner actually said this in in the commentary. So this kind of sums up my feelings, where he goes, the movie is really about a man who is trapped by his own success and is desperately trying to break out and establish himself in a different way. So it's like complacency is like the villain of this movie. And that's sort of why Stephen King wrote this book in the first place. He wrote this like fantasy novel and everyone hated it and said, why aren't you writing horror movies? And he was like, this is ridiculous. Like, why do I? So like, so um, what if you could imagine a person where if Paul just sort of went along, like literally never fought, not even mentally, just kind of went along entirely. Like, yeah, I'll burn my book. I'll write you a new one. Everything would kind of be fine for him as long as he's trapped in this room and never has to leave. But the idea of, of, trying to get out of your lane being like a real, like a, it's a real hard thing. And sure. I really complacency is easy. Yes. You and won't get your ankles busted, but you're trapped. Exactly. You're actually trapped in complacency. And, sure. and, and the, and the that's moment you try to break out of it. And Rob Reiner said that when he was finishing all in the family, he's like, that's what he was feeling. He's like, how am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do now? Like he, I was such a success in this one place. How do I go somewhere else and become like a director or writer? In a more literal Did you feel sense, that at all? No, I, no, I didn't know. He's, I, now that you say that, I guess I, I get that. Like thematically, is like sort of like a, a macro like thing that, that that Rob Reiner wanted to get across as the director. What he got out of the book, I was wondering in a more sort of like literal sense. I wonder how Stephen King's Stephen King fans feel about the portrayal of Annie. Like, is that how he, on some level, sees his fans? Oh, for sure. I think so. So how does that feel as someone reading the book Misery and you're basically reading this hero of yours sort of, this is how he views you. I'm your number one fan. There is nothing to worry about. You're going to be just fine. Obviously, it's a more extreme version, but like that. I'm your biggest fan, and I've read every book. Like, there's always a weird bit of contempt for creators, for the people that love their stuff, but they couldn't exist without the people who love their stuff. So it's this weird relationship that I felt like, before it got insane, it did a really good job of touching on the discomfort of the creators and then the people who consume it and the sort of distance between them. Because she's like, she's like, I'm just this little bumpkin, and he's this cool New York writer who's a man of the world, and you've seen everything, and you'd never love me, Paul, and all that stuff. It's like there's some real honesty in between the lines there. If you could be someone's number one fan knowing everything about them, like she knew what grades he had when he was in school. If you could do that then, like in 1990, imagine what it's like now in like 2019 with Twitter and social media where like you can literally feel like there's that movie Ingrid Goes West where you can like literally feel like you are. Is that the Olsen movie? 
that's the Ashley yes, Olsen plays. The, yes. Yeah, the, uh, you could actually feel like she in the, in 2019. If this was re- if this was remade, she could feel like she actually has a relationship with him. Like she could be tweeting at him, and she could feel and she knows everything about and 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 this closeness that we feel to celebrity is very very weird it gets weirder every single year but he's just talking to his polar extreme worst case scenario yes, fan. i feel like that sort of person back back then which was a caricature now kind of yeah. happens again more it's more. just yeah it's just polar they're more vocal and they have more of a platform it's like trolls on the internet right you only hear from them you don't hear from the from the people like you or i who will never comment on yes. a youtube video in our entire lives yeah there's like people that extremely love you that will vocalize it a ton there's people that dislike yeah. you that will vocalize that and then there's a whole swath in the middle who just are like yeah i dig the music but I think there's no uh, fear from the artist to make fun of those people because it is such a small vocal minority. Hmm. Like Woody Allen would would do that in like, I think movies called like Stardust Memories or something where uh, someone walks up to him, his character and is criticizing him for his funny stuff being the good stuff and he shouldn't make dramatic films anymore. Uh-huh. And that yeah. was Woody Allen's big criticism. Yeah, I just, I, I, I find like fandom interesting in a lot of ways and pride in fandom, you know, like... Uh, yeah, it's interesting when you Big like, time. like, it's like, if I like, I like, I don't know, name, uh, Julian Casablanca's from The Strokes or Brandon Flowers. If I, if I ended up in a room with them, I would not take the, like the position that Kathy Bates character did with Dude. Just because, just out for my own sort of position. But I think a lot of fans would die to say, hey, Chris Martin, you know what your music means to me? Like you got me through mm-hmm. like a really tough time. I'm your biggest fan. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I, I don't know why I wouldn't say that. And I don't know how Chris Martin, because I guess I just feel like Chris Martin probably hears that 150 times a day. Yeah, so you sort of go the other way. Anyway, I, I'm just more interested in sort of how the creator views the fan. I and this that, feels like a pretty like, I don't know. It's an interesting look. Well, at I, I think it's picking <laughs> on trolls who just want, don't want you to expand outside of the box. Yeah, that they first that's fair. With you. That's a good point. Like she, yeah, like she, like the, like the moment he writes anything, like to, to hit, to, to her, he's not exactly a writer. He is the keeper of misery and inside him is misery. And all you, all I want is you. And just like with music, you are the keeper of my favorite music. So just keep feeding me this thing that I like, Mm -hmm. but you're not really a human being. Exactly. You're a vessel for this thing that I want to get out of you and and milk. And internally you you can put that pressure on yourself because you don't want to disappoint people. So you put yourself in your own prison because like creator. will i be accepted and you ha- that's the voice kind of in your head right is that kathy bates voice and and they touch on that and you know they open with the publisher you know the lauren mccall character being mm-hmm. like you could make a fortune and he's like oh, i don't want to do misery anymore i don't want to play the hits anymore right she's like well that bought you your five houses and put braces, braces on your on daughter. daughter and yeah, it's like he's already line. at odds with his his own shit so this is like his so yeah maybe that is stephen king talking to the this yeah. fail as a fantasy writer and how they want to keep him in a box. Yeah, totally. This it's 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 funny that I saw that Robert De Niro was up for up for it. They offered him the part because have you seen King of Comedy? The Scorsese I just movie? watched it the other it's day. Simil- like, there's a yeah. lot of similarities, right? Yeah. Like Rupert Pumpkin, where he's like a guy like it's it's he's the the biggest fan ever of the Jerry Lewis, but he's not necessarily a fan of his as much as he is a, a conduit to where I the, the, what you are is a door that can lead me into this better life and that's how she sees Paul like you're this door and like you're Hollywood you're you're fancy places you write fancy books and you're you're this you're this over here and why can't I have any of that can I have some of it when I touch you I'm close to it now yeah. well I think Rupert actually wanted to be Jerry Lewis's character yes. and I think Kathy Bates wanted to be near the flame rather than be the flame that's a good point there but is a difference in that, but right? Yeah. There are still two, there are still 
commentaries on fandom, on toxic mm-hmm. fandom, which I right. think is 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 a very very interesting subject. But those books that uh, those misery books that James Con character created provided so much comfort for her. It was pretty much the only thing that made her sane. Yeah, and it's funny to think of these books providing comfort for like a serial killer. That's essentially what she is, right? She's a serial killer. It's like it's like a, a serial killer. Well, after they've done all their serial killing, that's where we come into her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, other good things. What do we think of the sheriff? Oh, he's, I love him. He, I wrote that. he uh, totally reminded me of a Twin Peaks character. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah. Yeah. He was, I a, like that. Like, he was a great take on the small town sheriff trope. His wife was the deputy. Just that, that actor, I don't know his name, forgive me. He was a uh, delightful. He was just very, just embodied goodness, you know, like. He wanted to just kind of do his job right. Like, I, I like the scenes where he's now reading the misery books. You know what I mean? Like, well, that, that bothered me. But. It felt, it, but it felt like, a, well, okay, so I, I, I'd like to get to, to why it bothered you. I liked it because to me, it's like a lot doesn't happen. There's no crimes to solve. We got a phone call this morning, big day, you know? So Those it's scenes like, were great, yeah. So it's like, so, but because of that, if this famous person goes missing in your area, your jurisdiction, I could see totally like just getting into the whole thing because there's really nothing else to do. But as a plot thing that like he puts it. It was, it was, it was such bullshit. Like we, we can get into it. Hold on. But you say bullshit because (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about. I think you're saying it's bullshit because like, how is it possible? Because I think what they're trying to say is no, no, no. I'm not saying how is it possible that like, if we're talking, you're talking, what are we talking about? Right. You're talking about the quote. I'm talking about the book. Okay. I was talking about the yeah. quote. Yes, I know, but he's talking about the. What I'm saying the, with the yeah. quote is, and we'll get, we'll, we we'll get, get it, but but the quote is that that not only is she a serial killer who lives in this town, but it's sort of revealed in that quote that this sheriff is well aware that she is a serial killer. Like she, like he mm-hmm. went, he goes right to this one article because like I've heard this before somewhere. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I rationalized when a serial killer who came fact. into the town. She, the I saw that in the article when I was reading up. I just just to scale back, mm-hmm. I really love the character of a of a podunk small town sheriff who is much smarter yeah. than he seems. It's like the, uh, what's the Coen brothers film? Co- every yeah. Uh, yeah. No, country, no country for all, but there's a lot of them. Like of that's, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a very Coen brothers. Character. He has my yeah, favorite Fargo. That's Francis McDormand. For, I mean. Fargo exactly. as well. Of course, Fargo. Um, and, and he has my favorite line in the movie where, uh, he gets the phone call and he goes, Jim, we've been through this before. If you're going to have benches out in front of your store, people are going to want to sit on them. People are going to want to sit on them. <laughs> yeah, I love that part. Because <laughs> uh, he's in the middle of like this, this We even as the audience, we're in the middle of this like this grand, like horrifying situation. And you know what, man? I will tell you, like going to those scenes, it was the only break we got. And then a little bit of Lauren Bacall, but it was like we needed to get out of that house every Big once time. in a while. <laughs> so like that made those scenes... 10 times more enjoyable because we just needed to, I needed to get out of the tension that at home. shot starting from the car and pulling all the way back. That felt like a breath of fresh air. Cause yeah. I, was, I was in this room for so long. Uh, oh, I, I wanted to ask, maybe you can crowbar this in no pun intended at, hey. at, <laughs> at, at the point where we're talking about Rob Reiner. Is he the most, um, fuck now I forgot the word. What's the word versatile. Yeah. Is Rob Reiner the most versatile director of all time? And if not, who's I've, more versatile? I've thought that before. I mean, Steven Spielberg. I was going to say done. Spielberg would probably, like, people would argue him. He's done quite a few. I mean, I guess he's, but he's. He's never done a broad comedy, though. That's what I was just about to say. I mean, he did 1941, but I mean, what any good. Like, The Princess Bride <laughs> is a comedy. Like, it's a fantasy. Like, like Spinal yeah. Tap. Oh, Spinal Tap. That's Spin- the other one. Oh, if you're so, Spinal Tap is like a comedy. Co- it's one of the most craziest balls out comedy. Well, because like you have super funny people, right? Like say like like a Will Forte or like a whatever, uh, Bill Hader, any of those SNL guys. They could make a Spinal Tap type movie. 
I don't think that they could make Misery or one of these movies. Potentially, I don't know. A Few Good Men, Hair and Harry Met Sally. Like it's like he picked. It's like he put every genre. I've thought. I've had this exact thought before. It's like he put every genre on the on the wall and said, "I want to hit every single one of these." Yeah. And everyone was a home run. What's the funniest Spielberg movie? I feel That's like he's I mean. not funny. Um, Catch Me If You Can is pretty funny, but I mean, it's not a comedy. It's not a comedy movie. Yeah. 1941 is, was his attempt Ooh. to make like a comedy. Exactly. Yeah, it's like his biggest right. failure. Um, uh, so yeah, you might be right. Can we think of anyone more versatile than, than Rob Reiner, aside from that Zucker brother that did ghost? Horror and comedy. I mean, J Jordan Peele is starting to get, if you're someone who's like, he's someone who's starting to be well, someone. someone could write it in the comments section on our Instagram. Sure. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I also think that there's going to be something. I, he also gets points for doing this in 1990 before the internet and all this. Like, I think everybody's versatile now. Actually, when I said that thing That's about like point. Bill Hader and Will Fortune not being able to do a Misery type movie, I bet you they could. Mm. I bet yeah. you they could. Just everybody's because Jordan so, Peele could, be, could right. do a get out. Ever. That's the thing. Watch and, Peele and say, this guy's going to make. Bradley Cooper doing a Star Wars point. I just think people have become so technically proficient and like can figure beats and everybody's done their 10,000 hours with movies now so if you know how to make one I, I, I think a guy like Rob Reiner being versatile at that point in time is probably more unique. Shane any other specific things you like I mean I feel like you've been commenting any things that stuck out to you that I love this about this movie. Well I definitely loved when James Caan gave her the finger after his <laughs> leg was broken. I thought that was a great scene to show I'm not always going to kiss this woman's ass. When it when it's past the point of a certain thing, I'm going to give her the finger. Yep. Or or another big point was the first big point of betrayal was when he had to burn his own work. And then his uh his surprise that she's giving him is a shaver so he can shave his own face. <laughs> he's like, Well, if I had known the surprise was a shaver, I would have burned all my work. <laughs> like James Conn did have a thing where he could kind of get lippy with her when he was just right. fed up. And I, I really liked the way he did that. Whereas if it was maybe less of a tough guy actor in that role, maybe it'd be less believable. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't let like the, the, you like him because of his edge. You like him mm -hmm. because of his resiliency. Like that's, that is sort of, he doesn't really do much else in the movie to get you on his side other than be, you're the conduit. He's the one like, it's like you're trapped. You are trapped in the room with them. And it's like a puzzle. How am I going to get out of well, it? Well, and he's super logical. He does things yes. the way you would do it. Yes. Apparently, they, the, the, a big reason why that part is so logical is that Warren Beatty was actually like fully signed on to do the movie and he didn't do it. You because, just keep pulling big actor names I, it's, out. It's, it's, it's apparently, if you look it up, it's like every actor was attached. Not attached. I don't even know attached. They just kept offering it to people. But he got like really attached and he actually sat with William Goldman, who, who, who wrote it, and actually like let's let's talk through it what would i do and what would if i because he's like i'm supposed to have the exact same kind of physical capabilities as this author would have what would i do here so it was about like if i like how do you trap me in how do you make sure that i get boxed into this room because like first thing i'm gonna do is break the window and bust out so how do you keep me from doing that and try to like actually keep it as logical as possible so apparently warren Beatty was a big part of why that's like that it was effective and i liked too how you think the sheriff, since he is this like small town bumpkin sheriff who you get that he's smarter than you think, you think he's going to be the ultimate hero to release yeah. uh, James Conn, especially when he comes back. And then boom, he's legitimately like blown apart with the shotgun. That's another huge and scene. It shocked me because I was like, wow, this is this is before the time where we're sick of these sheriffs actually solving it. And it actually went against the grain of what you're expecting. Yeah. 
And then you get the catharsis in the end of James Caan actually beating the shit out of her. And I <laughs> love the catharsis. <laughs> I love the line when uh, he says, when he's he's punching her in the face and he grabs the, the burnt paper and he's shoving it down her throat. <laughs> you wanna eat it? Eat it to yourself, you sick twisted fuck. You sick twisted fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you sick twisted fuck. It's amazing. Oh yeah. And it I've feels said it made so good. That it was very on the nose though that he eventually beat her with the typewriter. <laughs> like it's like, like you know, it. yeah, sometimes yeah. on the nose is nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I feel like when dude when when the sheriff got shot, I was so shocked. That's another one when like, I was a wow. kid. I remember. Wow, you know, it's like we—he's the guy that we love the most in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like we're rooting for James Con. We despise, we're terrified of her, and we really like this guy. And they just killed the only like. Yeah. And brutally, like a shotgun in the back. Like, didn't also, see it coming. His wife, we never get any resolution did, with this did, poor did wife. Did you not think his wife was going to be the one who comes back to like check on him and then ultimately kill Kathy Bates? That's what went through my yeah, mind. Yeah, no, okay. it's not a bad thought. Well, because I also, maybe I, I don't think I missed this, but did he tell anyone he was going out there? I think he was just kept going on a hunch. That's what I'm that, saying. Yeah. So, but if he's not coming home, you know the wife's like, I know where he's going. Totally. But this all got resolved by the morning I mean, I guess you would. Well, this, I, I had questions about dawn. this, and I'm not, this is just in my notes, not even in my, my bad necessarily, but the ending did feel rushed, and I was trying to think, okay, well, James Conn still can't walk. How is he getting out of that? So anything. Well, maybe in the sheriff's car, there's like a radio. Right. So all he has to do is claw, crawl to the sheriff's car, I would guess, or maybe there's some scene that we didn't see where he's like, he tells his wife, oh, I'm going out to the, you know, the Annie farm, whatever their last name, Annie. Right. Wilkes. Wilkes Farm. Um, do you think it's weird that he wasn't aware, like it wasn't just known to him that like someone who'd done time for being, for killing babies lived in the community? Like he flew over the farm halfway through the movie. He did, but he didn't. I mean, uh, the, uh, Shouldn't that have been his first knocking yeah. then? Are we going to talk about stuff we hate now or? I th- well, okay, okay before we get there, let's just go. Uh, what, was the, what was the best scene? Sledgehammer. Sledgehammer That's, for Johnny. It's, it's ridiculous. It's one of the great, I mean, or cockadoodie jumping out of the car. Sledgehammer. It's, it's, it's so burned in my goddamn yeah, brain. Sledge, okay, here's the thing. There's two parts because is most memorable the best scene that's always? Okay. Sledgehammer is definitely the most memorable scene maybe of all time that I've ever seen in my life. And then for the, the scene that when I was watching it, I was like, oh, this scene's amazing is when Kathy Bates comes in the room and it's raining outside and she's a completely different emotional character and it yeah. was it was it felt like a different movie for rain two makes me blue and exactly and she's and all of a sudden real and she's be like lit differently yeah she's yep. a sympathetic character yeah. yeah it's a great scene you know i i will say every conversation between them was electric in a way that was like just so intensely watchable i wanted to you're just you're just there i'm there for those conversations i think those every time they talked you know, to me, probably like was more compelling or a better scene than just her knocking out his his ankles. But I think the way that it led up to the ankles and sort of you realizing what's going to happen and her explaining the the, the diamond, diamond mine. Yeah, I'll go with Sledgehammer. Okay, but yeah. the 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 scene where she is talking about like why you can't cheat, why like does you have to rewrite this book because when I was yeah. a kid, I stood right up and started shouting, "This isn't what happened last week. Have you all got amnesia?" They just cheated us. This isn't fair. He didn't get out of the cock-a-doody car. It really revealed 
so much about her. Oh, without, I love that. Scene. She's kind yeah. of a good creative director. That, that might be my that might be my favorite scene in terms of like you said, like it's memorable. That's a great pull. Like, that always bothered me too in movies when they would show the, the, when they would show the replay, and it's like you clearly watched it the first time. The person didn't jump out of the car. Why? Are they doing this? She's and like, and I'm standing and I'm screaming. It. I was just like, yes, yeah. I love that they acknowledge that. <laughs> it's true, but like it does because you now picture like it, it, she's not someone who just, she wasn't stupid. She also, but she's not. A, she's not stupid, but you can picture this kind of like off kilter little girl. Everyone, all these little kids are just trying to have fun and cheering, and she's standing going no, like you were. You you're there. You're. The, it's like they they could have filmed it. They could have filmed like a little girl standing and going no. He never got out of the cocka duty car. <laughs> Yeah. 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 And you, good and, call. And even though it's sort of an innocuous, it's just an innocuous story about me and the, the performance that kind of changes it. And so many other people could make it different. All I'm doing is talking about this thing that happened when I was a kid, but her performance and how it's shot and how it's lit, like that, that locks in. She is just out of her fucking mind. Well, you just know, talking about this thing makes her crazy. That scene is so pressing. It, it actually gets to the heart of modern day fan criticism and like write-ups on the internet. So oh, how many, yeah. how, how much do people, when Lost was out? Great point. And then they go, they go, oh, and I, I'm guilty of this. They go, Lost would have been better if it did this because it's more logical and blah, blah, blah. I think that's I've done what, it in episodes that we've done here, yeah. That's what she's <laughs> saying to him when she goes, uh, no, she couldn't have, it couldn't have been a blood thing. Whatever the, the out was to make Misery alive she again. she was already dead and in the ground. That's she, where that's we left right. her. That's right. So, oh, buried alive. Now you found a workaround that I like. She's like the original recapper that doesn't like the choice that's that the creator yeah, or, or like the last Jedi people who are like, here's yes. how the last Jedi should be. And it's like, how about you just enjoy, like he, you, it, he's writing you a goddamn new Misery book and you're thing. still complaining. She wasn't wrong though. <laughs> true yeah she she wanted <laughs> like shane's like well no 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 i'm not like well because i totally ag agree that it is like that but that's how people are and that's how people should be and that's what this podcast is about and good point she knew too james Kahn is kind of phoning it in because he thinks Great i'm a point. dummy and he's just trying to get this fucking novel done she's like no it has to be good it has to be up to your work level Very and then he's point. like oh shit i actually have to make <laughs> this good write a book <laughs> yeah usually some might say and he wrote a better pass yeah she's like i love it it's she, like she was very creative director <laughs> you're right but he must have felt good on some level right? I, that's another yeah. interesting note like well this is the stockholm syndrome because then you actually like is he like in the in you want to please her yeah. on some weird level like this is what they say psychologically about like if somebody like hates you they're more effective because you actually want to kind of like make them like you. Then if somebody just likes you and it, they're not as like, so it's this weird psychological thing. Well, and we've all been in moments where someone's forced us to be productive and then we're like shit. And then we're more productive than we ever thought we knew. And it's like, holy, this is kind of good. It's better. And then you're glad you went through that fire. And Which he kind of is, is at the end. Awesome. He is. I'm a better person for having <laughs> gone through that. You know, he realized a lot about himself. Annie Wilkes, great creative director. Do we even have to say best performance? No, no. It'd be it would be dumb to Khan say. Khan was a lot closer of a second than I thought he would be, though. Agreed. Yeah. I thought when I when I was I was going to this, like, okay, I'm gonna like slay because who who would believe James Khan is a fan is a fantasy author? Yeah. And I'm like, oh no, it works for me. 
All right, boys, we are going to... Can I say one more thing that I like before we move on? Hey, yeah, it's your movie. I really like that rat-faced kid on The Love Connection. I thought that oh, kid made me laugh. That little aside? <laughs> yeah, that... Yeah. She's watching the TV show. They're like, the audience picked this guy, and it's like, pulls up to this mullet rat-faced kid. It just made me laugh. We Sorry. went to dinner at a fancy restaurant. Yeah, oh, yeah. He showed up just in a shirt, no tie, no oh, nothing. Yeah. Wow, you got that cold. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, I, I, well, I like that scene because, again, it was color for her. She's this lonely woman yeah. that lives an is- isolated life. And she's just like she'd be watching The Bachelor right now. And I thought that was a good-looking guy if he didn't have the uh, rat tail. He was good-looking for 1990. Sure, nothing against him. I just thought his just the the, I was I'm in just like the the bench thing. I'm in the middle of this taut situation, and then like this like mullet guy come like comes into me. Anyways, do you think it was a real episode of Love Connection? Because I do for sure. Okay, oh for sure. Okay, Um, that's all, guys. Yeah. We are now getting to the point where we talk about maybe negative things about the thing. Case against keeping it on the pedestal. Reasons to knock it off. What has aged badly? What was bad even then? What are its flaws? Johnny, do you got anything? Should I start? I'll start. Oh, yeah. There's a few. It's your um, movie. I can, maybe I'll start with... Can we start from the beginning? Yeah, sure. We'll, we'll start from the beginning where I'll say that the reason why I thought this was... When we asked the budget question, I feel like that starts right there. There is a cheap... There is a cheap made... If you told me this was a made-for-TV movie and I didn't know anything about it, I might believe you. I won't totally disagree with that. So, and it starts with the car crash, which I'm like, wow, this is really poorly done. Like, the crash is not really well done. The blood on him looks like it's paint. Yeah, that was bad blood. Bad. It was a lot of bad, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, and 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 so this weird slow motion as the car's going down, like, it's a, it, if, the, if we're starting this movie here, I'm already like, ooh, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> it doesn't hold up. You know, I, I posted, like I said, on Instagram when I was watching the film, and I kind of went down to my first note, and it was in my bad section, and it was as if Kathy Bates could carry James Caan through the snow. And you guys both responded to me. I had a DM from John that goes, I have an explanation for that. And then I got a DM from Shane that just went, ha, 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 ha. Well, explanation. Okay, so for, for if you haven't seen it, literally, he gets in this car accident. He's, he's, he's unconscious. She pries him out of the car, and then, like, 5'4", Kathy Bates throws James Caan over her shoulder and then treks through the snow back to this house. Two things. Hit me. First of all, she's a farmer, so she has that farmer strength. <laughs> she does. Okay. She's hauling things. Sure. Second of all, this is the adrenaline. It's not just rescuing a person. Or a famous person. Sure. She's rescuing her idol. The, the person. Her world. This means everything Hey, to man, her. I like batter to hell, but I'm not carrying meatloaf fucking anyway. <laughs> Come on, yes, you would. Yeah, i try. I couldn't do it. But it, it, it would bo- do anything for him. It bothered me. <laughs> but not that. Uh, <laughs> guys, come on. <laughs> it bothered me that the, the way, like, even getting in that accident, like, at least make him from L.A., not New York. Where he doesn't understand winter or something. My <laughs> wife, Sarah, she was Great point. so angry about that. No that one exact drives point. like that. Like, could you, like, telegraph that an accident is coming any further, complete with the, like, sign of, like, squiggly road ahead, yeah. and it's the worst storm? I would have respected it way more if it was an innocuous patch of ice, and he was just grooving out to that oldie song and going too fast because he was so euphoric. From, or maybe even drunk on champagne for finishing that. I don't need the worst You're blizzard. You're already fixing the, <laughs> the movie. You're already doing what we were just talking about. But I Kathy agree with Bates you. In it. Ex- exactly. And I like that stuff. And I think everyone likes when a film, you're saying, why wouldn't you do that? And then they explain it. And then you love the mm-hmm. film all the more for doing so. But that really bothered me. And then, yeah, I probably would have pointed out, why is Kathy Bates lifting him? <laughs> Couldn't they at least show that she- 
she has a like um, mechanism to put him on a, like a little sled and drag the sled. Hundred percent. I think it. Do, I think it make. I don't think James Con is exactly. I, I also no. I think they were just baiting us into thinking it was a dude, and then the reveal is that it's a woman, and it's like, whoa, isn't that another? Sure, but they're also thing? selling her as like you buy that she's she's farm strong and yeah. she and she was obsessed. And, and, so she could and carry it him. tells tells me right away that this is a, a, a she's not a like this is a strong individual throughout the whole movie. Like it's right, like a I, mom I, that can lift a, a car that's trapped her child. Yeah. All right, Why you not? could tell it was a book first because in the book it's like. Pick, uh, this mysterious stranger picks him up, carries him, and then it's a woman, and you get that surprise. Or, or, or I bet you in the book it's like then he was unconscious, then he wakes up in the the bed. Exactly, yes. and then a woman comes over, the show and then you're like, "Is the woman?" Whereas if it was a film, you know a trailer is going to come out and reveal everything. Right. Right? So you almost wish they just had a crowbar go inside, a set of hands grab him, and then we're. But I mean, I don't it's know, a small note either way. A, yeah. Yeah, we're nitpicking. Yeah, yes. that's the point of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I'm just curious if, it, if, if sometimes little things like I mean, I get that all the way. Sometimes a tiny little thing like that can like ruin a movie for me. Where I'm like, that is so unbelievable. Okay. I think the the blood on his face was so bad it actually like jarred. It me. threw me off. He was, was eating really... a jam sandwich. Actually, they cut that scene. <laughs> it wasn't bloody. He's like <laughs> part of the the car flipping. <laughs> he got a pizza delivery. <laughs> I can't use my arms. Face Just finished first. the book, man. Well, what other things that, that we thought were negative? Because we went pretty hard on the positive guys. Can we talk about the sheriff? reading the novel. I figured that if I can't find Paul Sheldon, at least I can find out what he wrote about. What do you expect to find? A story about a guy who drove his car off a cliff in a snowstorm? It was very hard for me to rationalize why he would do that. I could understand if, let's say, James Conn's was the serial killer character. And it's like, I want to get inside his head. I'm going to read the serial killer's novels to figure out what he's going to do and how he thinks. The, in this case, the novelist has been abducted. How could reading... Or is dead. Or, or is dead. But you're, you're only trying to solve the case to really find him alive is the hope if you're reading these novels, right? I don't, I don't, I didn't see it as him reading the novels to try and solve the case. What's he doing it for? I think it's like, you know, when like Prince dies and even though you never listen to Prince, you go and listen to his whole catalog. I think he became so fascinated. This famous person went missing in his own backyard that he went down the rabbit hole. Okay. That's how that I read it. That helps me. That helps me. I know that I'm a voracious reader. And Stephen King does this a lot in his books, but the very idea of someone just buying a big pile of books and just reading them all like back to back to back. It's like, his fantasy? Pardon? <laughs> no, it is his fantasy. Like to him, that's a very simple, like, oh yeah, doesn't everyone do that? And it's like, I don't think so, man. I'm pretty sure that this is an arduous task. But you thought this- that was weird too, that this oh, yeah. sheriff would start was, reading the book. It was book. strange. It was strange because, I mean, it's not, it makes sense in that, if I'm a small town sheriff and all my leads are gone, and as far as everyone else is concerned, this guy just went into the woods and he's dead somewhere and we'll find him in the spring. So bereft of any leads, all I can do is I might as well like read his books and maybe it's like a shot in the dark. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's a, it is a very, like the you, shot in the dark. You guys both think he was reading as part of police work. Yes. Interesting. Oh, well, that's the way I, I guess. Thought. It ne- again, what you're saying about the Prince thing, it, ne- it always occurred to me that that he might mu- like because he that that's his entire character in this movie is yeah. Just, do the work. It's just, just keep doing the work. And I feel like they would if he was doing what you said, Mike, which I think is a great idea. He might have vocalized that to his wife, and they would have had a scene to really make that. Hammer right. home. Like, hey, might as well read up on the dead or something. The idea yeah. is he's a, he is a very smart sheriff who will not leave any stone unturned. And even if the books seem like, 
well, what's the point of reading those books? I'm like, well, I have to, because in the timeline of the movie, a lot of time, he writes an entire goddamn book. Sure. In your guys' theory too, for all he knows, you know, that character is someone that would fake his own death and disappear. So maybe he's ruling out, is this guy a weirdo? What can I learn about him? I just think the idea of sitting there and reading like 10 fantasy novels back to back to back, I enjoyed the I enjoyed the, the the thought of this salt of the earth guy reading yeah. this this romance I didn't have any novel. Issues with it, but I did. Yeah. I got the same thing where it was like it did feel Stephen. Uh, uh, as much as I love Stephen King, he sometimes has these weird kind of jumps to conclusions where, like, hey, maybe the answer is in these books. Let me read all the books, and mm-hmm. lo and behold, there's the answer. Yeah. There's always these kind of strange <laughs> leaps that like every like, hey, maybe he's uh, in that silo that, that we once talked about. Oh, of course they're in that silo. There's always these strange leaps of logic where you have to do it. I just accept it because I'm, it's easier to accept it than not, but it is something in the, like the answer just happened to just be in one of his well, books. Did it bother you when he started writing down the quote? I, I thought the way, so here's the thing. I actually thought he wrote down the quote because he, he liked, liked it. it. That's what I thought. So I go, okay, that's an interesting thought for like, it's almost like it, we're learning something about that sheriff and his relationship with God. And the I idea liked it that, better when I thought he liked it. Me too. Mm-hmm. I did not expect it to become a plot point that helped him solve the, the murder. That to me, I have in the bag column because I did, then I was like, oh, we're, we are now in a construct. Like this feels, this, this, it feels like it's here because it needs to be here. Like, but what I, but what I liked about it is it, it answered a bigger question for me. Where if there's this woman, she's the dragon lady. She's been on TV trials, things like that. She's not like a completely unknown. Like, so this, this quote was an echo in his head that he couldn't place. I must have heard he it somewhere. That's so that's the explanation. Point. That's what I mean. Yeah. Right. yeah, he must have heard it somewhere or read it somewhere. And the answer is right. when she moved here. That helped me. Yeah. When she moved here, I obviously read up on all this. I know everything about this crazy lady. But I do see your point of if, because that creates a whole other problem, where if there's this crazy lady who's the only the serial first killer you knock in town, on. why am I not just not first knock? Why don't I check on her once a week? Every, like, shouldn't I always be like, like, like the wire where you're always just kind of, hey, just doing a little drive by, checking in, what's going on? We have some weird thing going on. That you're the weirdest person here. Okay, why? Is the the dragon lady even and not in prison? They never explained that. They at didn't all. have. They all had, there wasn't enough evidence. She could have been. She could have been jailed her. for negligence, not murder. You know what I mean? You can only prove like like it's like the baby's died on her watch. I'm I'm literally this might be a leap of logic, or it would explain why she's not serving life. It's like they think she did it intentionally, but they can only prove that she was negligent. So she's like jailed for manslaughter or like gross negligence. So she she does seven years or something mm-hmm. as opposed to life. I think that would be how, I don't know what happened in the book. It's just, it is, it's just not enough evidence to convict, essentially. That's so, all. But, but, but she did serve time, didn't she? No. It said, I, like, released she? from jail. I thought she yeah, served I thought time. She served but time. I thought they just had her arrested. Maybe she was acquitted. Yeah, who but knows? She was, I'm pretty sure that's what happened in the book where it was constantly speculation, but yeah, she always exactly. out, outran the law. It was one of those, like, like, it's obvious she did it because everywhere she goes, people show up dead, but we don't have any way to, like, nail her to the wall. Okay. So, so okay. Oh, sorry, are you going on further about that? I have something thing. further. Sorry, go, go about that. But I mean, if you want to go, but it's somewhere else. In Mine's the, different. So you stay on this. Go so my it. thing is, and this might be my, my biggest flaw in the movie, is as much as we've learned all these things about the dragon lady and the trial and all that, the super duper unbelievably convenient scrapbook that just happens to be sitting there that goes, <laughs> my memories. Oh, here's uh, her entire backstory. Those trophies List. for her. She would yeah. take them all together. Just, just, yeah, but it's just, it felt she like didn't such think a movie get out. tropey kind of thing. Like the she house. lived on her own. Like when I lived on my own, I left shit all the time. Like, like, like stuff that like, 
you know, you leave your laptop okay, open. In. You convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, 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 I know what you're saying. And in any other movie, you would be like, why would you leave this out? But I don't think she, I guess if you're, he's serial, locked in, I he can't the move. The idea of serial killers is the, tro- if you don't keep these trophies, why did I do any of it? And she's ne- she never has guests. So why would she have to hide it? I love in that book. Uh, this is the first time I've noticed it. There's a Nixon pen, pe- uh, pennant inside I of it. I saw that. And I do wonder that Rob Reiner, the most liberal guy in the entire world. I totally world, noticed that. I'm like, she fucking voted for Nixon. So, I mean, like, to him, that signals that she's a bad guy much more than all the baby killing yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. She's a Nixon fan? Fucking yeah. burner. It was Nixon and his <laughs> running it, you mate. bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Did it bother you guys that the way James Caan escaped using the bobby pin? Written about this, not the wit. Like, you mean like him being able to pick a lock? I actually loved it because I love that he said out loud, like, you've written about this so many times. Yeah, yeah. see, okay, so I kind of accepted that because I've I've tried to always pick the lock. (laughs) You, of course, you have (laughs) because I see it in movies. So I accept that he opened the lock. What I have trouble with is that under duress, he locks the lock with it's an old lock it's an old house you can do that you can lock a lock with the bobby pin i thought you could read about it it. in movies i've never even in movies i've never seen someone lock a lock like a tumbler that that comes in like it's more just it's a good question very rudimentary lock talk about it in the comments section like (laughs) (laughs) guys weigh in locksmith 69 (laughs) locksmith fellas i was listening to the latest episode and man knows nothing about locks okay and then okay the 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 end fight, the big climax, and I hate jump scares in movies, and I hate the old Frankenstein monster who can't die, and you think he's dead and he comes back. And I, I thought this movie was above it because it really gained my respect as it as it went along. So James Caan knocks her to the ground and smashes her head off the typewriter. Yeah. He smashes it so hard, in fact, that they use a dummy head. It's of, like a mannequin. A, a mannequin of Kathy bad. Bates to basically say... This woman's head is fucked. She's so dead, we had to recreate her head and smash it. So I'm like, she's definitely dead. Two seconds later, she pops up and tackles him from behind. Hold on, read this line. This is what I wrote. I can picture Shane laughing when she attacks him that last time. <laughs> <laughs> like, it made me laugh knowing that when it happened, I bet I could just see Shane like, oh, get the fuck out of here. You can't cut to a dummy head and then have the person be alive in the next It's season. exactly what you called it. It's a cheap jump scare. It is. Yeah. It was, they just it, wanted us to, they wanted to give you one last jump in a yeah. movie that really was not, it didn't have, it's the classic Hitchcock thing where there's, it's, it's, it's it was suspense. There wasn't, shocks in the movie and then that was like their sort of well, like it was the thing kathy bates would complain about that she'd be like that skull was fractured that person couldn't get up and i rewound that before i even knew she jump scared i rewound it like five times like whoa kathy bates's head is fucked yeah yeah so i yeah. also thought that mannequin was so poorly like that, it, that, it was that whole ba- it was last fight i wrote like if you watch that last fight with no music it would actually kind of look pathetic like mm-hmm. there's no fighting it's just these two people kind of like rolling around on the ground until this mannequin yeah. hits a typewriter. My, again, more my notes, last, last fight felt comical at times. Yeah. And I don't think it was intentional. Mm-hmm. No. Like, I don't think they were trying to be campy or like fun. I think that they thought that was supposed to be some like, you know, real struggle, but I was just like, what am I watching here? Right yeah. Now? It, look, it was a really weak. Yeah. All like the whole, and even in the, in the restaurant, I was, I'm very back and forth on whether I liked that. The denouement. The denouement at the end. How would you feel about a nonfiction book about what went on in that house? 
Gee, Marsh, if I'd have known you better, I think you were suggesting I dredge up the worst horror of my life just so we could make a few bucks. I know we're supposed to be seeing that he's all well put together, but inside he's like fundamentally broken. I don't know if it's sold it as well as like and he, has, he has to say Fun. a lot. I know she's dead, so that we know that that's a fit. It's like right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I know James Con. That's where James Con's weaknesses actually came out. Were a more fragile actor who can show that sort of like inner turmoil would do a lot more, but he just seemed like, ah, I'm fine. Yeah. yeah, I guess I know she's dead and maybe it's kind of fucking with me, but I'm cool. I, I'm came, out of it with, I came out of it with a limp, but I'm better yeah, for I'm it. cool. Whatever. That guy got shot in the back, but whatever. Well, just oh. the woman ending with I'm your biggest fan and that being it. Like if it was a similar situation where maybe his car had broke down and then he needed a lift and the person's like, no, come with me. I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> it's another woman that can carry him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it's like, <laughs> carries I'll him give up. you a lift. Yeah, sorry. But, but if, if it was just something comparable to actually warrant an ending on such an weird thing because someone probably says I'm your biggest fan 20 times every day to him so does he have that like but that's dun, why dun. he reacts to like yeah I mean I'm like because it's still happening like, but I'll, that's what I mean it wasn't a, li- that special of a scene and then it just ends and the credits are rolling and I'm like ah I thought a little bit better of an ending it is happen. a Hitchcocky type thing where the idea is we did the big thing we're not going to milk this it's just sort of this and it turns out that he's alive and, and like the real real end, it's more of an epilogue than an ending like the ending was yeah, fight her in the fight, and I'm fine with that. I'm just grasping at straws because there wasn't that. There wasn't a lot stuff. There's things. The thing that didn't hold when you're talking about things that don't hold up specifically. I don't know if it's a bad thing, but I've never noticed this before. But but again, a little hint of of how weird or bad she is is when she yells. She goes, "Hey, what's the ceiling that Dago painted?" Yeah. Or I was like, "Oh, wow!" Like I get it really side. So I never had noticed her say like. I don't know if I'm even if I've got to bleep that at this point, but but like it's weird to that because she's always been this nice kind of thing. And then she okay, throws- see, I read that wrong. I thought so. So so Michelangelo painted the Sistine yeah. Chapel, like as in like, an Italian. Oh, I thought I like, thought she a- just thought it was like. I thought she yeah, thought I didn't it was know De Gaulle. That. I thought she actually no, it was showing how says, uncultured she was. Because remember, she also couldn't say Don Perignon. I thought Tom, that was Don very Perignon. Funny. I love I it. Thought that yeah. that, I thought she just had the painter mixed up. Is Dago like a racial Italian, slur? For an Italian, yeah. Mamma mia. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it really got, I and mean, you can just see him yep. going like, uh, here's how dumb I am. That when she said that, I was like, I didn't know Dago painted <laughs> that. <laughs> that was no, I think she thought reaction. it was Edgar Degas. Oh, I know that. I think she was. Nope. Hey, man. Nope. Because 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 the, the, the she's cultured enough that she knows who Dig Guy is. It's but like she people that watch Michael Jeopardy. Angelo. No, because she's trying to show like I I'm cultured like you, Paul. What's that that ceiling that that uh, Degas painted? He knows it's Michelangelo that painted yeah, it. So he goes Sistine Chapel, but he knows she's wrong. Just like when he repeated how she said Don Perignon, he did it to like, he doesn't want to embarrass her, but she's trying to show she's cultured. I got one hundred percent. See, I disagree. I got it. That I don't know. I'm I'm like I could believe anything. Thing at this point. I got it that it was a quick hint that's like, whoa, hey, because she's someone who'll shoot someone. Else. She's not a good person. So she fundamentally would throw out a racial slur like it was nothing. I'd be shocked. I think it was more getting at her thinking she's a cultured person when she's really not. Check this right now. Hold on. <laughs> Type in that if exact I put say, thing. Have you heard that word before? Yeah. I never have. They always say that. What's the ceiling oh. that Dago painted? It is. That's confirmed or is that just other guys like you writing that on the internet? That's on IMDb. All right. That's interesting. I'm telling you, man. I thought it was in the same realm as the. Well, it obviously makes she, sense if there's a painter. Was, like, saying, I mean, I don't know if it's if it's in the same realm as the N word right now, but no, N word's in a whole other realm. But she definitely. If it was in the same realm, we'd be calling it the D word. 
It's are any of us, are, I, I don't think we can speak to it as none of us are Italian. Uh, but no, it seems you're right, Johnny. Mm-hmm. There's someone, there's you some, could be Italian. What's your ancestry.com? I'm Jewish, remember? 100%? He's Jewish and Greek. Jewish. <laughs> 50%. Mamma mia. Um, Mamma mia. Opa. Uh, yeah, but I felt like that, I had never known, but I mean, for the same reasons that you guys, it just, because I've seen this movie so many times, and it just like drove right by me every time. I never really thought about it. Well, I mean, like you said, like, I, it holds up if it speaks to character. I, 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 I think you can use those exactly. terms if it speaks to I ignorance agree. and character. I, well, it's actually... Like, obviously, using a racial slur isn't funny, but it is funny juxtaposed with trying to be cultured. Well, she's been <laughs> saying, like... <laughs> That's a great point. She's like a Sistine Chapel. Like, she's trying yeah. to be like... But well, well using... That? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what else? I mean, though, that, you know, uh, so, I so, so, so any other, any other baddies on here? I, I mean, this isn't in general. This is actually, it's not even maybe we're talking about because it, it's, it's, it doesn't speak to the craft with which the film was made, but I, I literally in quotes have suffer porn on here. You just better start showing me a little more appreciation around here, Mr. Man. I do not enjoy watching great pain in movies. Like I accept that it's needed to show how limited his options are and how like, you know, he's truly stuck, but God, it was tough to watch the pain he was in. Like when he first falls out of the bed and he's like, it's just like, I know that we need to see this so that we know there's no way for him to escape. We see how much pain he's in, but I'm just like, I, I don't enjoy watching this in movies. Like this is an unenjoyable experience for me. My, my wife, she could not watch this movie with me for, Basically that exact same reason. But I feel, I see like torture porn type stuff. I feel like I always hate that. Like Saw movies and things where like, it's actually kind of fun to, to see some, that's the idea behind it. And I hate that. But I feel like the filmmakers are aware that this is not- They're like, putting us in an uncomfortable position. Yeah, on yeah, purpose. Sure. They're not trying to, they're not trying to fetishize it. They're not trying to have fun with it. Like the reason we remember, like there's, I've, there, I've seen movies where people literally get like ripped in half by hooks and they just kind of fall away into the ether. And here's a movie from 30 years ago of a guy who's getting his foot hit with a hammer. That's much, but that we'll all remember forever because like we're supposed to, like there's a lot more going on here than just the pain itself. I remembered another problem I have with this movie. Hit me. Maybe it's explained and I missed it, but why does she have Dom Perignon in her house? She doesn't even because know. She know, because she, she probably picked it up in one of her trips. She drinks. She, she knows that's his celebratory drink. She's really? going to keep Don Perignon. So she has Lucky Strikes because he smokes Lucky Strikes. Like, really? Okay, because she acted like it was a bit of a surprise when he brought that up on her. And she, she was like, oh, there's three things I need. And she was like, what could that be? He's like, you don't know. Because she knows. You think she'd know instantly. I feel like you're adding a lot more but into her brain. But there's a. They make it a point where the guy at the at the hotel says he always orders a bottle of I, you know, you know, No, no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. She said it. She says, she says, I know that you uh, you don't have a copy of this because you're superstitious. In the first book you ever yeah. wrote, you didn't make a copy. Of she goes, and when you finish, you have one lucky strike and one Don Perignon. Yeah. Oh, so she I, does say I'm not it saying, early. But what I'm saying is at the end when he goes, I need three things. Why wouldn't she say if she had already had the Don Perignon, we're done. Let's celebrate and have it be oh, her Oh, she idea. asked, what are those things? Yeah, because he goes, I need three things. And she goes, what? He goes, you don't know? Well, she's she goes, in a real, she's, interesting. she's in a kill zone kind of like she's in a whole oh, other I know. plane at that point like she's she's ready to like 
but we have to do it now. Let's Speaking go. of planes and the quality of the filmmaking, uh, when they were in the helicopter, it looked like 1966 Batman, mm-hmm. like the green screen. <laughs> yeah. That was Rob Reiner as the pilot of the helicopter. Like they would like they, the, 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 the shots, the overhead shots were fine. And then when they would go to like, it literally, I just pictured a green screen set, them climbing into this contraption, and then just two like stagehands shaking course, it. I yeah. do wonder what $20 million in 1990 was spent on in this movie. Eight to what James Caan. Snow machine. <laughs> but there wasn't that much snow. In that one scene, there was. There was a $20 lot. $20 million dollars worth? No, they paid James Conn at least a <laughs> mil. <laughs> Rob Reiner, maybe? They got to build yeah. those uh, gelatin legs, I guess. Those ain't cheap. I'd love to know what that budget went to. Someone yeah, needs to like, give us a breakdown. Is it... Is you the could budget, make, well, Stephen King's worth five hundred million. So yeah. Does some of that budget go to him? I was going to say, do the rights payout come like get baked into that? I don't know. I don't think they played so. Played that Motown song when he was driving. They did, yeah. yeah All yeah. the music, yeah. It just it, it it feels like a fundamentally so like it's meant to be low budget. Like if you had told me the budget of this movie was three and a half million dollars, I think I'd like the movie more. Yeah, it'd be like they took a small mm-hmm. look how much they stretched it, but it's like they didn't stretch anything. They could have made they could have done this any way they wanted. They had William Goldman and they had Rob Reiner and they had James Caan and they could have just kind of... Honestly, like a movie, like whenever somebody creates a story like this on page where people go, oh my, like Gerald's Game. You know, it's like, oh my God, this takes place on one, like in one room for the, for 80% of it. Mm-hmm. And it's a Stephen King thing. It's like, that's got to be like movie gold for them when they see that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. All in one room. It's, yeah. It's like, it's going to be dirt cheap to shoot and it's got his name attached. Yes. Big time. What was, I guess we talked about what's aged badly, what was bad even then, it's flaws. There's no really worse performance. I thought everyone in this film was good. I thought the use of Dago was a little... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Offside? Yeah, big time. Big time. It spoke to character. Because uh, there's so few performances, right? Like, I mean, there's only like three people in this movie. Oh, don't underestimate the wife, the deputy. She was great. Yeah, she's she's Bunny from Sex and the City. I felt bad for her because uh, uh, I was like, wow, we never got closure there. Like, instead of going to James Caan with Lauren Bacall at the diner in New York City, mm-hmm. maybe we should have saw a little funeral. If you... Yeah. One of my... One for of the cop. His best... Uh, Stephen King's, this is totally aside, his best audio books is Dolores Claiborne, and that actress reads, she's the, the the narrator for that book. And it's such a good book because it's literally one really long monologue. So go listen to Dolores Claiborne. And, in the, and in the film, Kathy Bates plays Dolores Claiborne. And he's, he, she was like a no one before this, then Stephen King tried to get her in everything. There's no mention of Maine in this book whatsoever. I know, isn't that crazy? It's a... It's a Completely yeah. isolated. Well, when he, I, not, I'm, this is maybe too deep Stephen King knowledge, but he used to write under a pseudonym, uh, uh, Richard Bachman. Okay. Um, so this was, he when he wrote this book, he was it was meant to be a new Richard. So the idea of, uh, I'll put out these paper because I'm so famous. I hate the idea that my books are just getting bought because my name's on it. So if there's something that feels special to me or it's written in this kind of really dark, demented way, if I go to this special place, I'll put it out like that. And then before the book was released, someone found out that he was Richard Bachman. So they just released it as a Stephen King book. Mm-hmm. So it was never meant to be in that main... Imagine Bangor, it turned out he was also Rock. Randy Bachman. I was, oh, he was. The whole time he's at Bachman, I was thinking of a joke. I was going to be like, he wrote Taking Care of Business. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, I don't want to discover this. The whole time I was thinking that. That was Stephen King. Ain't seen nothing just, yet. <laughs> baby. And I pictured me saying it, and then you'd go, that was actually Randy Bachman. Then we'd all laugh. But I was like, hey, can we just <laughs> that would have played right out now? better. We'll yeah, cut out exactly. all this. Uh, okay, guys, it is verdict time. We went long on this, yeah, which man. I'm kind of shocked with. Uh, Johnny, uh, should you start since, I mean, this yeah, was you were going to go with this. I mean, I, it held up for you. Abs- absolutely. I mean, it's, I, I, it's one of the greatest 
psychological thrillers of all time. I think she is maybe my favorite movie villain of all time. There's a, it's it's between her. I love Pupkin and, and King of Comedy and Jerry Lundegaard and Fargo. There's a few up there, but she might be my favorite just because every time every time you watch, like she she takes she takes a brilliantly written character and then adds more layers to it. It's like every single aspect of it and, and the way she shot everything. It's like it's all so perfectly put together and everything hinges on her. When do you ever have the villain of the movie where everyone's like, oh yeah, she obviously she won an Oscar. She won a fucking Oscar for the yep. movie for a horror movie. That's unheard of. So yeah, absolutely. This movie is absolutely on the pedestal for me. Is this a horror or a thriller? That's Psychological a thriller. Because there's just like get is get out. I feel like get out is the closest to this in terms of tone. Right. Where like Silence of the Lambs is obviously a thriller, and Saw is obviously a horror, and there's so few movies. That I think sit it's a, in the it's middle. a suspense, a psychological thriller. Yeah. I don't think I it's would, a horror movie. Saying a horror would not be accurate. But there's when uh, the sledgehammer thing is one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my life. Like, like I would not have watched this movie on Halloween. Okay, it's fair enough. Point. I feel like that's a, a lot of Stephen King works kind of fall in there. Yep. I feel like like it and Pet Cemetery are like the only like hard horror stuff, and everything else is more. I think The Shining. A lot unsettling. of people will consider like a quintessential. It's a great question. Film. Is Shining a horror movie? Because or is a lot it just of people deeply unsettling. Because I feel like it sits in the same place this sits. Well, when you open an elevator and like gallons of blood come out, this I think is that's someone more... smashing someone's. You saw that blood on Con's hammer. face. That ain't scaring nobody. <laughs> on who? Oh, <laughs> the jam. They meant our friend Con. No. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant uh, filmmaker con acklin but uh this yeah this for me or are you we done with you yeah i'm done with me over to me okay i thought this was the best film that we had watched since we started this Fantastic. podcast i thought it was very very good it exceeded my expectations i enjoyed it the whole way through it was funnier than i thought it was going to be scarier than i thought it was going to be more realistic i enjoyed the both performances more than i thought which for a movie in, basically in a room with two actors they have to be damn good performances to keep you string along and yeah it was it was great you definitely said, on the pedestal you said rob reiner might be the one of the most versatile directors like is he one of the best is he one of the most underrated directors is he like one of the best directors that we never talk like Probably. we talk about i would say so the masters and yet for some reason rob reiner who's done yeah. This litany of incredible movies. You just kind of... Well, North kind of fucked him over. Did he direct North? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that movie stunk. Yeah, I feel like Ron Howard <laughs> kind <laughs> of... You just turned into John Lovett. Hated it. What was it, the critic? <laughs> it stinks. <laughs> yeah, Ron Howard kind of gets his yeah, thunder right. for his former hey, actor. Howard, that ah. might be the most versatile director. He's done a lot of... Uh, but not comedy. Nah, comedy. Name on. a comedy. Is Cocoon funny? It, it actually That's does have funny, funny parts, yeah. <laughs> Um, what am I really going to say other than to say that this movie takes place 30 years ago and I think it still has poignant things to say about the nature of fandom, the fan and creator relationship. I think it's like super insightful and uncomfortable in ways that still resonate today, uh, especially for a movie that like, honestly, like if this, this movie couldn't take place today because cell phones would basically sort of change the game. Although I guess you could take a cell but phone. But I mean, the, like even like how he's trapped someone in a room and that's it. Yep. Take the take the take all phones out of the house and like the being in the middle of nowhere is yeah is, yeah you can't get reception as yeah. far as a a two hander as they call it I think in the biz uh, this is one of the best both people like were amazing uh, I every scene between them was electric and I just was like fascinated by the chess match yeah and what's real with her what's not is she putting it on we know that he's faking it in some level we know that they're she's deeply disturbed we know that he's trying to get out uh, and, yeah I, I this movie absolutely deserves to be on the pedestal and it it 
it supersedes usually what like an adaptation for a book Absolutely. or even a Stephen King movie uh, is usually able to accomplish. Do you, do you, where, of, of all the Stephen King adaptations, does it lie? Where do you think this lies of the ones you've seen? Well, nothing will beat the uh, television adaptation of It starring John Ritter. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, I like that. I, me too. Well, uh, it's such a part of my show. Me guy, too. Lord. Rings, right? Uh, no. No, that you're thinking That's of the shining, the television no, Pennywise with Tim Curry is no, but he's one of them has the dude from Wings in it. Yeah, the shining on they made uh, no, the, the, shining. the new show, the new, new TV shining. series, the yeah. shining, the one that yeah. Stephen King rewrote because he hates yes. the movie so much. That had Wings the guy dude. from Wings, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm glad that Wings dude made an appearance on yeah, this, and, it's, and it's not the Tim Daly one from Wings, it was the other guy, <laughs> no, yeah, the other guy. Yeah, not Shaloub, not Tony Shaloub. No, it Shaloub. wasn't Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Shaloub will be talked about on this podcast at some point. Uh, all right. And now we close the book on that one. Flawless. <laughs> <laughs>